Michigan's Upper Peninsula is my home and Escanaba is my hometown. I'm Craig Warple. Hometown Escanaba connects with the people, activities, and newsmakers of Escanaba and the UP. Join us for more interviews at hometownescanaba.com. Now let's find out what's going on. Joining us is State Representative Bo Lefebvre. I appreciate you coming in. Thank you well, so much. Thank you, as always, Craig. This week, you're going to be dealing with legislation that could affect concealed pistol licenses in Michigan. Yeah, we've got a package of four bills. And essentially, what it says is that if you would like to conceal a pistol on your person, you don't need a permit in the state of Michigan. Uh, right now, if you have a concealed pistol and you don't have a permit, it's five years in prison. You can open carry anywhere in the state of Michigan without a permit. A lot of states, I think 26 now, have what we call con carry, meaning you don't have to give the government money for a permit to conceal carry a weapon. Uh, We'd like to do that in Michigan. And also, it leaves the permit structure in place for reciprocity purposes. Example, Wisconsin. Wisconsin is not a con carry state yet, but if you want to conceal carry in Wisconsin, you're Michigan concealed pistol license permit works. So we leave it open, but it would be optional if you want to get that for reciprocity. Part of the process of the current permits is that you do go through educational type courses to know how to handle a handgun. Why is that not necessary? So one, it is necessary that individuals get trained in the proper use of firearms. 100% necessary. But the problem with putting a minimum requirement in, which is what we have in statute of eight hours and only like an hour on the range, is that everybody thinks that if the government says that that's the minimum amount, that that means it's sufficient. So the vast majority of Michiganders, they only get eight hours of training. That's all they get. When constitutional carry passes and it has passed in every other state, the average hours of training increases because the government doesn't say, hey, you need eight hours. The government stays silent on it, and individuals get the amount of training that they think they need to be actually proficient and and well-versed, which is more than eight. But when you put that, that, that number on there, everybody thinks that's sufficient. Well, it's not. So when you do con carry, you get more training. What about those that then feel that they don't need any training? Well, they don't need any training right now to open carry. So... We don't have a slew of incidents demonstrating a need. And frankly, you know, there were Democrats in southern Mich- in southern states back in the 60s who thought that people needed training for them to vote. Those were poll taxes. Those were Jim Crow laws that limited individuals' access to the ballot by forcing them to uh, take an educational course or to pay money or to other things. And the United States Supreme Court said, no, that's unconstitutional. You can't limit anybody's right to constitutionally protected activity. I don't see how a poll tax is any different than the $180 you got to spend for the concealed pistol license or the education requirements to vote is any different than the eight-hour training requirement for to exercise your Second Amendment right. And it does disproportionately affect those of lower income and those less able to get away from their job and their kids to go get that course. What's the advantage of concealed carry? So my opinion, and I wouldn't open carry because I don't want the bad guys to know that I have an ability to stop 
them from committing a bad, bad, evil thing, such as uh, harming the life of me or, but more importantly, the life of another. Especially if you're, if you weigh, you know, less or you're older or you may be uh, a female that isn't able to uh, take on a, a big attacker. Surprising your attacker with a concealed weapon ends pretty much every attack and you don't even need to pull the trigger. But if if you're open carrying, every bad guy that wants to rob that bank knows they got to shoot you first. Whereas if there's a four, five, six people in that movie theater that are concealed, well, now the bad guy who wants to commit a terrorist attack doesn't know who they have to shoot first, which is, you know, that church shooting, that terrible church shooting in Texas was stopped by somebody with a concealed weapon. Mm-hmm. And this can save lives, having more people that know what they're doing concealing their their ability to protect themselves and others. How would this work in a vehicle, knowing what you have to do with a rifle? Yeah. So I've got a package of bills on that problem, because it is a problem. Uh, in the state of Michigan, if you don't have a CPL, you need to go through a, a massive list of things to transport a pistol. The pistol needs to be unloaded. It needs to be in a case. That case needs to be designed for the transportation of the weapon, and it needs to be in the trunk or in the case of like a Jeep Cherokee, Mm -hmm. basically as far away from the driver as possible. I might be missing one requirement. So consult an attorney before you actually carry a a pistol around. Because if you miss any of those things that I said or the other one that I might be missing, it's five years in prison. If the gun's loaded but locked in a case in the back, oh, it needs to be locked too. It locked in a case in the back of the trunk, um, that's five years in prison. If the case is underneath the back passenger seat, but a trunk was available to you, five years in prison. Uh, and I've got individuals who've done that. The simple mistakes, veterans that didn't know how stupid our transportation of firearm pistols are in the in the state um, and, and found out they looked up the long gun transportation requirement, which is unloaded or disassembled and in a case or in the trunk or, or, or. The ors make a big difference because if you do two things, you're good as opposed to needing to do six. So I have a bill that would actually make transporting pistols without a concealed pistol license the same as transporting long guns. But in the meantime, if we do con carry, um, you can have that pistol in your vehicle. And it doesn't need to be in the trunk. It doesn't need to be unloaded. doesn't need to be in a case. All that stuff. That's being considered by the committee this week. That's right. And then? I am of the belief that this can go directly to the House floor. Since the last time we talked, your committee also dealt with body cameras for conservation officers. That has now been voted out and headed to the House floor? Yeah, so body cameras are an incredibly effective tool to protect law enforcement from frivolous allegations of impropriety. It protects the taxpayer because when those frivolous allegations get into court, uh, if there's no footage of this. It's he said, she said, and it costs a lot of money to deal with this. It's better for officer safety. Studies have shown that badge cams, body cams, whatever you want to call it, reduce the amount of attacks on police substantially. The It's also good for the citizens because the use of force goes down very similar numbers, if not higher, um, because As long as you're not a politician, everybody acts better when the camera is on. Why was there opposition from the DNR on this? So 
city cops have been adopting badge cams. Sheriffs have been adopting badge cams. State police have been adopting badge cams. Every law enforcement agency in the state of Michigan have said, you know what, this actually is really good for our officers. It's better for citizens, less force, less time on sick leave because they got their finger broken by a felon. We're going to do that. The DNR said, no, we're not interested in that. And so when every other law enforcement agency in the entire state of Michigan is embracing this technology and the DNR aren't, it begs the question, why? Why are they hesitating this in Lansing? Why are they not allowing our good law enforcement uh, conservation officers on the ground in the Upper Peninsula and in Lower Michigan to get these cameras? And they refuse to let them get them. Uh, If you're a state trooper and you want a camera, you get a camera, period. No questions asked. But DNR refuses to. It begs the question, why? So I said, all right, well, I have a bill, and we will get them the cameras. And they came out and opposed the bill. It's unbelievable. You said that people act better when the cameras are there. Unless, of course, you're a politician. (laughs) Then you act worse. How do you think that it would change a conservation officer situation? I mean, they're in the woods, oftentimes alone, sometimes miles and miles away from backup. And... I mean, God help us. I hope nobody ever does anything awful to an officer. Please don't. They are a good men and women of law enforcement, and I back the blue, uh, and in this case, the green. But if somebody were to commit a terrible crime against an officer, if they have that camera, we're going to find out who did it and bring them to justice. If you're a conservation officer and you witness a crime happen, and then they fight it in court, And they say, that's nonsense, he's lying. Well, now we've got video records to prove it. If you're searching a vehicle and you find, you know, something illegal, like drugs or an open container or a dead deer, for that matter, that doesn't have a tag on it, and then later on you put the tag on the thing and say, oh, no, it was tagged before, we've got the evidence. It's on camera. So I think it's just smart to have these, but the top of the DNR don't want it. So I said, you know what, I know a way to get you to get them. It's a bill. One of the concerns is the cost of archiving all of the material. Yeah. So they can get in with the state police. I mean, we have thousands and thousands of law enforcement agents in the state of Michigan. We have like 278 conservation officers. This is not a significant storage problem for the state. I can understand it would be significant for Gladstone PD or even Delta County Sheriff's Department, although they figured it out. They're able to do it. What the DNR is going to do is they're going to take their data and give it to the Michigan State Police, house it on their servers that they already have, and it's not going to cost the taxpayers hardly anything. Uh, But the maximum it would cost would be $87,000 a year for long-term storage of these amount of cameras. And when you think about preventing one frivolous lawsuit, um, that's well over $90,000 in savings there. And the cameras cost less than $300,000 to buy in the first place. This now heads to the floor of the House? Or is yeah. it already passed the House? It nope. passed the Committee on Military right. Veterans and Homeland Security with five Republican yes, two Democrat yes, and two Democrat no's. And it's headed to the State House Headed now. to the floor. All right. You recently approved uh, the handicap parking sign designs that you have been trying to do for quite a while now to have it look like it's more in motion rather than static. Yeah, that legislation is wheels up. We uh, 
we've been trying for years to get a picture that more actively represents people with disabilities. Right now, if you look at these signs that were designed in the 70s, it's an individual just sitting in a wheelchair, uh, obviously either just not moving or somebody has to push them to get around. And it doesn't really act accurately sure. represent people with disabilities now um, in 2021. Plus, when they designed it, all these signs had to be made with like a stencil and spray paint. Nobody's doing that anymore. Um, and so we have a much more aesthetically pleasing design to the eye. And it also, the people in the disability community didn't like the old one. So I said, let's update them. Like a couple other states have done, a couple provinces in Canada, a few cities. But nobody's going to need to replace their old sign. I mean, we're not going to be Because the, of the cost on that. We, yeah. Well, I mean, and the big government Who's aspect. responsible for the signs? Who puts them up? Uh, so what happens is if you are building a parking lot or a building, you go out and get the sign and you put it up. It's not like there's a handicapped parking sign department. I mean, government is big, but it's not quite that big yet, although there is an office of inclusion. But th that's not necessary for this legislation. If you're a business owner and you need to get a, a handicapped sign put up in a parking lot or on your bathroom, you just buy the sign and put it up. Under this legislation, if you're doing new construction or you need to get rid of the old sign, we're just saying put up the new design and it costs, there's no cost difference. Frankly, it looks better. And also, if we don't pass this legislation and somebody just updates their parking lot with the new signs, technically, they could be fined and say they're not in compliance with the Americans with Disabilities Act and get a massive fine. So uh, as a lawmaker, usually things that look pretty aren't the reason why I do things. But if you look at the J. Edgar Hoover FBI building and compare that to like the White House or the Capitol, and you see the monstrosity of a concrete design that that disgusting building is compared to the beauty of their Capitol building and the White House, there is a role for government in government things to make things not look hideous. Um, you think and, the original signs look hideous? Oh, I think that they could look better. Right. I think the J. Edgar Hoover building is absolutely hideous. Okay. I just, proof of concept, when working on stuff, we want to make sure it looks aesthetically pleasing if it doesn't cost the taxpayers any extra to do it. So, But no one's going to be forced to take down the old signs. That would be insane. You're now then looking to license plates. Yep. So with regards to handicapped license plates and disabled veterans license plates, if you want to have a license plate that lets you park in a handicapped spot, you have to choose the handicap parking placard. And it's got the same symbol that we're going to update, but... What if you're a Michigan State fan? What if you're a Lions fan? What if you're an MSU fan like I am and you want an MSU plate or you want a Lions plate? You cannot or one have, of the many You that cannot are do that. Yeah, there's like 27 license plates that are available and some of them for, are for charities. You can't do that if you're going to have a handicap plate. If you're handicapped, that's what the plate you get. Uh, or you can get the placard and risk getting parking tickets at MSU like I did. Got 15 of them. Uh, they all got thrown out. But I think that's foolish. And same with disabled veterans plates. If you've served our country and are, were wounded in the line of duty and are no longer 100% military disabled, we give you one free license plate, entrance into the parks, free of charge, state parks, but you need a DV plate to get the free one. You can't get even an Iraq plate or an Afghanistan plate or, again, a Lions plate. You are stuck with a DV plate. That's silly. 
So I've got legislation I'm working on now that would allow you to get a little sticker similar to your registration that would go on and it would denote if it's a DV plate or it would denote that it's a handicap plate so the parking police can figure it out or the staff at the state parks can figure out who's supposed to be there and who isn't. But allowing you also to have the personal choices of these other license plates because just because you're handicapped or just because you have a disabled you are a disabled veteran doesn't mean that you can't support Western Michigan University football. Um, but right now you're excluded. And also, if you are 100% military disabled, you need to go into the parks office to get another park pass sticker, and you need to get a handicap parking sticker. My legislation would say if you're a 100% disabled veteran, you get to park in handicap spots, and you get free access to the parks with that plate. That's just what DV means. Talking about veterans, there's been legislation now in the books for several years that allows veterans who are disabled to live in their homes tax-free. That has caused concern for local units of government who are affected by that legislation without compensation from the state. You have an idea to try and alleviate that for local governments. Yeah. So before I was sworn, well, actually I was sworn in, but before I took office as state representative uh, in lame duck, they passed a disabled veterans property tax exemption for those who are 100% service related disabled, uh, which is a good benefit and they deserve to get that. But that problem is, is that Lansing passed a tax cut to individuals who deserve it, and then they made locals pay for it. Right. That's not fair to locals. It's fair to the veterans, but not to the locals. And so I've been trying to well, find state, a way. State legislature does this quite a bit. Local oh, government I, complains about it all never. the time. I mean, this is the only time that's ever happened. Mm-hmm. No, but you're right. It does happen all the time. And it's because local units of government don't have massive lobby firms that go in and, and advocate for this stuff. And nobody got elected to... Uh, you know, I'm going to fight to make sure that our locals can raise more taxes. I mean, that doesn't get you elected, Democrat or Republican. So oftentimes, it's much easier just to say, oh, yeah, we'll pass this on to the locals. They can pay for it. Um, my thing is I, I agree with the tax benefit. I just think that if the lawmakers make the tax cut, then the lawmakers should pay for it in the state budget, which is a bill that I've got moved to the House floor to do just that. But I found an ingenious way, I think, to actually pay for this thing which will be revenue neutral, um, and so we don't need to take money out of roads and bridges and schools to pay for it. How would that work? So we had a pilot program under the Snyder administration like 10 years ago where VFW, American Legion posts, about 10 or 15 of them around the state were able to use electronic pull-tab machines as a program to see if it worked. Right now, if you go down to local VFW or American Legion post. They've got these pull tabs, and it's gambling, similar to the lottery, but it predated the lottery. So those are authorized around the state. This pilot program showed that if they use the electronic version of that, where the machine scans the pull tab and gives you an electronic heads-up display of the results, that people love it. And it raised something like $5 million a year at these 10 locations, which was able to bring in $2.2 million supporting of our retired National Guard, $2.2 million to those particular locations paid for the program. That's great. If we expand that statewide and allow every VFW American Legion veteran service-related organization use electronic pull-tab machines, 
we'll be able to pay for this veteran property tax reimbursement. We'll be able to better serve all veterans in our communities by increasing investments in county veteran service officer programs. Um, I know Delta County does a great job. What if job. that doesn't raise enough funds? Oh, it will. It'll raise enough What if money. it doesn't? Well, Where will the money come from? I will be actually shocked if it doesn't because 10 locations, 10 or 15 raised 5 mil a year. We're looking at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of locations, and we're only looking at a 40 to $50 million expenditure. That would be a part of the bill then? Yeah. Including so, that in it? So what we would do is say, number one, you got to pay for the administration of the program, printing the printing the, the tickets. That doesn't cost much, but let's say it's 10%. After that, the after that the money is split 50-50, half goes to the the volunteer the, the service organization with the machine, the other half goes to the state of Michigan, but the first amount of money that the state of Michigan can spend and will spend will be to make sure the veterans property tax gets reimbursed to the locals and that our 2.2 million dollar continues to go to National Guard, I'd actually up that to 3 million. After that, the money would be distributed equally in the 83 counties to their county veteran service officers. This would be run through the Lottery Commission? Yep, it's okay. under lottery. It's actually under charitable gaming. I'm not sure if that's in lottery. I'm pretty sure it is. It's either that or LARA, but it, it would be under lottery, I believe. The lines for the state House, state Senate, and congressional lines hearings are being held pretty soon. None of them are in the Upper Peninsula. Yeah, it's a long drive. They didn't want to make it up here. And it shows in their map. They don't know what they're doing. That's why I wanted to talk to you just about it a little bit, because those lines are now pretty much finalized, although they could probably change a little bit. But what do yeah. you think of what happened here? In oh, I think that the Michigan or U.S. Supreme Court is going to step in and say that these lines are blatantly violating uh, federal law, and the entire process was a violation of the 14th Amendment. I think... Here's my prediction. I haven't said this publicly, but I'll I'll break news to your show. Uh, the lines that I ran in and McBroom ran in are going to be the lines that the next person for my house seat is going to run in. This These lines are an absolute disaster. They gerrymandered the heck out of the whole thing. They took Iron Mountain, Kingsford, and Norway and threw it in with Ironwood and Keweenaw, but then took Baraga and threw it in with Marquette and took all the farming community that is the rest of Dickinson County and put it in with Marquette, and then Menominee to Sault Ste. Marinette, Wisconsin, to Sault Ste. Marie, Canada is a house district. <laughs> what? That, I mean, I get it. Like a border community might be a border community, but the Wisconsin border is very different than the Canadian border. And maybe that'll work out because for our area in Escanaba here, Mathematically speaking, I don't think you'll ever have a rep from outside the city, Delta County again. So if that's you're the thinking man. that the lines will stay the same because the, what's being done now won't be approved. I think it can be approved, but I think the courts are going to reject it because they're and there violating. There won't be any time then to make the changes after that. Yeah, and so they're up against a problem with the Voting Rights Act of the 1960s. They are not allowed to dilute the voting ability of minority communities and it has been argued successfully in courts that once a minority comprises a majority let's say for example that the disabled community once were so congregated in one spot that they now as a minority have a majority 
to elect uh, somebody that they choose in a house district, you can't get rid of that district. You can't split up the disabled population and make it into two different house districts and put, you know, 40% disabled, 60% not disabled. Uh, that's not legal. And so Is that it, so with with African Americans for example say, in lower in Michigan. Detroit area, okay. Yep, in lower Michigan, they had 12 minority majority districts. Under these new plans, they have two. They had four state senate. They had the meaning the old maps had four state Senate districts that were majority African-American. Now they have zero under the new maps. In Congress, they had two African-American majority minority, and now they have zero. So this is not going to fly. And um, what they did in the Upper Peninsula, and, and, and frankly, what they tried to do is they tried to take and make every House district 50-50 split, which means that you need to take the heavily Democrat voting portions in the city and bring them all the way up north or all the way west you can't go east because that's canada uh or all the way south into not downtown area and the districts look way more gerrymandered than they ever were when the legislature was drawing them because they are which is why i voted against this stupid proposal We've been talking to you for a long time now here this morning, and I want to address the Line 5 protest because you were one of the first to jump on that. Yeah, what happened is in southern Michigan around the Thumb area, uh, terrorists went on Facebook Live and said, Governor Gretchen Whitmer told us that the Line 5 is illegal and that they need to shut it down and that global warming is going to kill us all, so we're going to go in there and shut it down. Uh, And then three of them broke into the secure facility. One of them had a wrench and turned off the valve. Now, Enbridge was already saw this nonsense, and they they shut the line down first, um, safely, thank goodness. Uh, but call the cops. Uh, the individuals are detained, and the attorney general of the state of Michigan has been completely silent on charges against these terrorists. And make no mistake, when you attack a power plant, when you attack a nuke facility, when you attack a water system, under Michigan statute, if you attack a, a paper mill. These are all critical infrastructures under the state of Michigan. And if you go there without permission and stay there, that's a four-year felony. If you try to shut down Line 5 with a wrench, that is a act of terrorism. You're asking the attorney general then to... Yeah, I'm asking the attorney general to do her job. Um, it's only been something I've been asking her to do for three years. Uh, when the barber was cutting hair when Lara and Osha told him to stop cutting hair in Owasso. The attorney general arrested him. But you have actual terrorists shutting down Line 5. And the attorney general says, oh, well, we need a referral. We can't just do that. It's like, well, you did it with every right winger that did something that you thought was illegal. But when you call for months and years now and campaign on shutting down Line 5 and then someone does it for you, something she can't accomplish in the courts, she's not going to go after him? Well, that is, I was going to say what it actually is, but that is uh, something that you'd find on Senator McBroom's farm uh, as a waste product. And uh, as someone running for an executive office, that is not how laws should be enforced. And as somebody that's, that's looking at enforcing laws, I promise you, if ever elected to any position where I can enforce laws, it could be my friends, it could be my political allies, it could be my enemies, it could be my worst enemies. We're going to enforce laws equally. 
That's the only way that we have a just society. Speaking of which, how's the campaign for Secretary of State going? It's going incredibly well. Uh, the number of Republican chairs, county party chairs that have endorsed from the Upper Peninsula is humbling and honoring, and I appreciate it very much. Um, we've got, I think, nine of the 15 county chairs endorsed, and uh, quite a few in southern Michigan as well. I've got a third of the Michigan House Republicans that have endorsed me, elected in the House. When Many, is the state convention? State convention is on April 23rd. So that's only a few months away. Yeah, it's not very far What's away. What's the strategy? So there's about 2,500 people that will vote at state convention for SOS AG Lieutenant Governor. I need about 1,250 of them to vote for me. Fortunately, I get one, so I know I have one vote. Uh, and I suspect Ed might. Uh, so that's two. Uh, but these county chairs, obviously, most of them are going to get a vote. What it means is I need to make a couple thousand phone calls. And that's what I'm doing. And going to events all over the state of Michigan. I mean, I've been at the tip of the thumb and lower, at the base of the thumb twice. My first Saturday of the campaign, actually, I ended up going to as far southwest Michigan as you can go uh, in Three Oaks. I mean, it was six miles away from the border. And ended up going to Monroe. There was a country club that had another big Republican meeting with 150 Republicans, a lot of precinct delegates there. It was three miles away from the Ohio border. And I thought, no, I'm just like a, back at home again. You pop across the river and have a Secretary of State's office open. What was the reaction when you went to those places? Oh, I also was in Kent County um, the other day in Saginaw as well. It's been incredibly honoring. You know, I've got a stump speech that you know, there's a lot of politicians that do these statewide offices and they give the same speech at every event. And that's just too boring for me. So I've got a roadmap that I that I do, but but I always talk to the folks about more current event stuff too. And the reactions always has been really surprising when I talk about, you know, my, my, my disability growing up and, you know, fighting to live and then amputating my leg at 18 months and then how difficult it was to secure the house seat um, being outspent six to four in my first election for this house seat. And I, I just say, you know, somebody that wasn't supposed to live, wasn't supposed to be able to walk, is now running for statewide office. That just tells you how great this country truly is. State Representative Bola Fave, I appreciate the time with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our sponsor, SwedishPimple.com, Check out all of the fishing lures made right here in the Upper Peninsula at SwedishPimple.com. You can continue to follow us at HometownEscanaba.com. We connect with the people, activities, and newsmakers from Escanaba and Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Music